So like I said uh, before, we're today we're starting a three-week series on the book of Jonah. And Jonah is a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. The story we read happened around 760 uh, BC before Christ. And he comes from Galilee, the same region Jesus was from centuries later. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring the story of Jonah. And the book is ultimately about God's unrelenting compassion. And it's not just compassion for those who, who look the part, those who have worked to deserve it. It's not just for those who have certain family heritage or religious background. No, God's compassion reaches even to those whom we might not see as worthy of it. God has made his purposes of choosing Israel clear in the covenant with Abraham. It's not that they were great or big nation, but it was because God intended Israel to be a nation that was a blessing to all other nations. That God's compassion would permeate through the entire world through Israel. And now it's the Great Commission that guides us to go and make disciples of all nations. And so we too are called to be vessels of God's compassion to the world, just like Jonah. I learned that this week uh, that Air Force One is the presidential plane of the United States. And I learned that that isn't actually a name of any one particular aeroplane or even a group of planes. It is any aircraft that the US president is on board. And the name Air Force One was created in 1953 when a plane carrying President Eisenhower had entered into the same airspace as a plane with the same flight number. And so the call sign Air Force One was used to distinguish between the two. So any aeroplane become, can become Air Force One if it's got the president on board. Planes can carry many different things and many different people, but it, when it's carrying the president, it's serving a higher purpose. We can be vessels filled with many things. We can carry hate or resentment. Or we, can, we too can serve a higher purpose and be vessels of God's compassion. And so today we are going to unpack some of the obstacles that with Jesus' help we can overcome and be a vessel of God's compassion. So let's get stuck into the passage and then we're going to address the elephant or should I say the whale in the room. So open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 1 and we'll read through the whole chapter. I'll be reading from the NIV translation. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh. And preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you be asleep? 
Get up, call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, What should we do to make uh, you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it was my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So the big question is, did that really happen? Did Jonah really get swallowed by a giant fish and survive to tell the story? It seems so far-fetched. We might wonder if, is the story of Jonah just a long parable, a fictional story to prove a point? I want to offer three reasons why we need to take this story seriously. The first is, it's probably not a parable because parables are always anonymous. Jonah is a real historical person. We know who his family is, where he's come from, his interactions as a prophet. It's Hebrew, the Hebrew language of the book of Jonah, it's not ironic or, or funny. It's written as normal Old Testament narrative. The second reason is the Bible is full of miracles where the supernatural interrupts the normal order of nature. And the resurrection of the dead is way more unlikely than this. And our entire faith rests on the belief that Jesus rose from the dead. The third reason is that Jesus makes reference to to Jonah being in the fish's belly in Matthew 12. The way that Jesus talks about it makes it clear that Jesus himself viewed it as history, not fiction. So we need to take this book seriously. How does Jonah end up in the sea creature's stomach? Well, firstly, God has asked Jonah to call the city of Nineveh to repentance. And this is a city renowned for their evil, for their brutality. It's gone down in history that they have been evil and and brutal people. And Jonah wasn't too keen on the idea of going, so he just hightails it out of there. He runs. 
And instead of going inland to Nineveh, he gets on a boat to go to Tarshish, um, in, which is in modern-day Spain. This is literally in the opposite direction. And God wasn't particularly pleased with Jonah's choice. So he sends a storm, almost sinking the ship. And the crew get it out of Jonah that the storm is a result of him running away. And so he gets thrown overboard so the rest of the crew won't share the same fate as Jonah. And the stormy sea calms straight away and the crew are in absolute awe. And so they make vows to God. And while Jonah was adrift in the sea, God sends a big fish to swallow him up. And we read in in chapter 2, verse 10, that the fish vomited Jonah back onto dry land, saving him from drowning in the sea. So Jonah bails, and God says, you're not getting out of this so easily. And I think Jonah's story gives us insight into the human response of when God tells us to do something we don't like. Jonah made it practically impossible for himself to be used for God's purpose. You know, I can't preach to the Ninevites if I'm in Tarshish. Oh no, what a conundrum. Looks like you'll have to find someone else. You know, it made me wonder, you know, how does this play out for us today? Because I think we put practical obstacles up to resist God when he tells us to do things we don't particularly like. You know, maybe it's like, oh, I can't give to the wall of hope or I can't do my offering this month. I've already bought a new Apple Watch. Or I can't go to Connect Group. I've already taken extra shifts to work that night. Oh, I can't pursue that vocation. I'm already in too deep with this study or in too deep with this job. Or maybe, oh, I I can't reconcile that relationship. I've already moved churches or I've already moved cities. Now, when God tells us to do things we don't like, we tend to make it practically impossible for ourselves to carry out what God is asking us to do. Here's the hope, though, that God speaks into the midst of the story of Jonah. That God's purpose for Jonah did not change because he ran. Romans 11.29 says, "For For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Maybe you've been running from God's purposes for you. Maybe you've been running for months, years, or even decades. And this passage encourages us that God's purposes for us still remains. You still have the opportunity to step into God's purposes for your life even now. For me, I first felt God's call to pastoral ministry when I was 19 years old. I was doing a gap year internship at Youth Dimension, and as I studied the Bible and preached the gospel in high schools, God laid ministry to young people on my heart. So naturally, at the end of that year, what did I do? Leap into God's call? No. I went back to the course I had deferred, mechanical engineering. And during that year, God made it more and more obvious that he was calling me to prepare for pastoral ministry. I felt a greater sense of discontentment with what I was doing, and I couldn't explain it, but I just knew that what God was asking of me. And if I didn't submit to what God was asking me to do, the internal conflict would have, within me would have been so great that I would have had to renounce my faith just to escape it. And so I remember the day coming home from uni 
standing in the doorway of the study, telling mum I was thinking about quitting engineering. What are you going to do instead? Mum asked. Uh, probably go to Bible college. What kind of job are you going to get? I don't know, I said. And 18 months later, I was working as a youth pastor. Whenever I tell the story of my call, I, I refer to that year of my life as my Jonah year. I started to take steps in the wrong direction. And God made it more and more clear and more obvious to me the purpose he had for me. Don't harden your heart to God's calling and purposes. The chances are God's not going to send a storm and then a giant fish to swallow you to change your mind. The chances are it will be through the gentle promptings of the Spirit. And as we walk in obedience to Him, it's where, there where God will speak His purposes for us. So I encourage you this morning to start taking small steps towards what you believe God is calling you to. Don't let your heart be calloused where you deafen yourself to God's voice, where the voice of God is tuned out and it's simply background noise. You know, in what ways are you making it practically difficult for God to use you? And what steps can you take towards His purposes for you? Because He wants to use us all as His vessels for His compassion. So we just looked at what Jonah did in response to God's call. He ran. But now I want to focus most of our time on why. Why did he want to run? Jonah ran because it was Nineveh. Jonah was a nationalist. Some commentators would even go as far as to say he was a bit racist. He did not want to see any of the Ninevites become recipients of God's compassion. He had a deep resentment and hatred, like most of Israel at the time probably, against the Assyrian capital. A few decades later, the Assyrians would invade and then carry the northern kingdom into exile. There was obviously a lot of tension. Jonah's commitment to his nation was his priority. It wasn't fear that made him run, it was tribalism. When God called him to go and the call to, to call the Ninevites to repentance, there was inside of him, there's this deep clash of values, two competing priorities. On one hand, it's the call to be God's vessel of compassion. And the, on the other, there's this exorbitant loyalty to his nation, upholding resentment to the Ninevites. And Jonah refuses to give up his tribalism. He refuses to give up his hate for the sake of being a vessel of compassion. Jonah was jealous that outsiders, that non-Hebrew people would receive God's compassion when in his mind it was reserved for his own people only. Tribalism, it's an exaltation of the tribe over other groups. And it's not just belonging to a group, because it's natural that people tend to, to group together because of the similarities they hold. Groups of people in and of themselves are places of community and belonging. That's important. But when the commitment to those groups becomes a greater priority than the commitment to God, that's when the community can go toxic. 
Instead of fulfilling our purposes as people who are vessels of God's compassion to the world, our groups become obstacles of God's compassion to the world. I was born in South Australia and I lived much of my childhood there. And there's not much to do in Adelaide, but there is one remarkable thing about Adelaide. And it's the only place in the world where Coca-Cola is not the number one selling drink. It's actually Farmers Union iced coffee. It is a delicious drop. And I think it's in my blood to really enjoy a good milk drink. In Victoria, you can't actually buy oak eggnog. Um, so whenever I visit family, there I'm... I'm sure to stock the fridge full of oak eggnog. It is amazing. Way better than anything else. A few years ago, I developed an intolerance to milk. And this was personally devastating. And at a a point, it got so bad, I'll spare the details, but if I had dairy, it would go straight through me. I'm talking less than five minutes. It was bad. Uh, As a side note, I was later healed through the prayers of a friend. So... I'm well and truly back on the dairy train at the moment, but I digress. During the time of being intolerant, I had this internal conflict going on. I know many of you who have food intolerance share this as well. Do I not eat the delicious food or do I eat it and probably get sick? I know I should not drink milk, but I really want to. And during the time of intolerance oh did the desires of the flesh win out more often than not jonah he knew what god said he just didn't want to do it he had personal priorities that were just more important than being a vessel of god's compassion for jonah his hebrew identity superseded his responsibilities as a child of god Are you holding on to identities or or ways you group yourself or define yourself that compete with your responsibilities as a child of God, stopping you from being a vessel of compassion? See, tribalism that is exalting a group above others is a huge obstacle for Christians to be a vessel of God's compassion. And reading the book of Jonah, it made me wonder how tribalism is reflected in us as a church community. Maybe we don't consciously believe it, but maybe we subscribe to it just by the way that we live it. Through our actions or through our inaction, we try to limit the power and work of God to be reserved only for the special few. That somehow certain people are outside of the compassion of God. And what happens is the mission of God here in our context, here at KSBC, takes a back seat to the agenda of our tribe. And that becomes the priority. I think there are two questions we need to ask ourselves to understand the impact of tribalism on us as a church. What are our relationships like? Firstly, how do we interact with those outside the church? You know, maybe we have assimilated so much with the world that we live in, people don't even know we're followers of Jesus. Co-workers or friends can't even tell that there's something different about us. We're not a city on a hill. We've been, become a, a, a lamp under a bed. The light of Christ is hidden away from the world around us. Maybe our loyalty is stronger to the tribes outside the church. And the groups we're connected with and and we're no longer 
um, loyal to our identity in Christ. Secondly, how do we interact with those already within the church community? Tribalism forms factions and cliques within a church. You know, we huddle together with people who are just like us in my stage of life, who share my interests, who look like me, who talk like me, just like me, me, me. And the church community is distilled down into those who are in and those who are out. A culture that's exclusive. And Jonah was written to change Israel's culture of exclusiveness. And the truth is, cliques exist in our community just like every other community. And personal insecurity fuels it. We need to invest into relationships beyond the people just like me. We need to stop being concerned with protecting our own sense of belonging and start thinking about how those on the outside can find a place to belong here. This doesn't mean we all have to be raging extroverts, but it does mean we can't keep to ourselves and only invest in relationships with people that are just like us. Consider your relationships. Who's in your life today that God is calling you to extend the compassion to? Think of one person outside the church community who doesn't know Jesus. And think of one person inside the church who is different to you. And how are you going to reach out to them this week? Maybe it's a simple encouraging message or an invitation to go for a walk. I just want to pause and recognize one person within our church who is an absolute powerhouse at this. Jean McMullen, one of our seniors through Facebook, sends regular encouraging messages and Bible verses to dozens and dozens of people in our church community, across ages, across backgrounds. Jean is someone who is leading the way of being a vessel of compassion in our church community. So keep it up, Jean. Be like Jean. How else does tribalism restrict our ability to be vessels of compassion? And many cultural commentators have noted the increase of polarization in our society. Our political views can be obstacles to being a vessel of God's compassion. Author Brett McCracken says, A faith that perfectly aligns with one political party is suspiciously convenient and lacks prophetic witness. If we are all in for one party, left or right, I don't care. But if our political preference never creates tension with our Christian faith, tribalism has probably superseded compassion. Our calling to be vessels of of compassion has implications that must trump our politics. It must transcend all worldly cultures, gender identities, racial issues, opinions on COVID, opinions on the environment, It would be easy to categorize our society through the lens of the stance people have on those issues. And I don't say this to minimize those issues because they are important issues. And I don't say this to minimize our differences, but instead unite us in a purpose that has surpassing worth. Because all these other groups, all these beliefs or ideologies, we might align ourselves, must take a back seat to our primary identity being children of God, vessels of compassion. Because if it doesn't, what can happen is that we end up demonizing whoever holds an alternative opinion. 
And just like that, we've become like Jonah. We've put them in the category of the Ninevites. They're too far gone, undeserving of God's compassion. And we make the same mistake Jonah has. Is there a societal issue that you are so resolutely for or against that you just find it so hard to have compassion for those who think differently? In your eyes, the issue that you're, you're thinking about might be you know, completely evil, and it may well be, but it was for Jonah too. We are called to be vessels of compassion to all people. In conclusion, let's look briefly at chapter 2. It's a prayer psalm that Jonah prays in the belly of the fish. And I just want to read two verses of it. And it's in response to God saving him. Verse 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. And verse 9. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. It's a prayer of thankfulness for God's mercy. As he was rescued from danger. He deserved to drown in the sea. He was running from God. He blatantly sinned against God. He didn't deserve mercy. But God did not treat him as his sins deserved. And in the same way, God does not treat us as our sins deserve because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made. Salvation from death is given to us. See, Jonah was saved from the ocean and and the sea represents, and we see in verse 2, the the realm of the dead. And and look in verse 4, it symbolizes a place that is separated from God. See, for all those who cry out to Jesus, we too are saved from an afterlife of death, separated from God. If you want to be a vessel for compassion, but you know there are parts of your life that are obstacles, you know that you've been running from God, I want to encourage you to do three things, and they all start with R. The first is read. I want to encourage you to read through chapter 2 of Jonah today. I want you, the second is reflect, to meditate on God's compassion you've received and did not deserve. And the third R is request. Ask God to soften your heart to those your heart is hard towards. Ask God to help you to take the next small steps towards fulfilling your calling as a vessel of compassion. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the compassion that you have lavished upon us by dying on the, on the cross in our place for our sin. May that, in, that truth encourage us and spur us on to be vessels of compassion to our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.